The devil has himself a whore. The Lord Jesus has himself a bride. Which one are you? This is the deep end. This is the Bible. And this is the Deep End Podcast, where we talk about the Bible in modern day language. Thank you for joining us. This is the Deep End. Welcome in everybody, Wednesday at 12 noon on the Deep End Podcast. Joining me through YouTube or Facebook Live. We're so glad that you are here. It's Wednesday, it's 12 noon. Where else would you be? The Deep End Podcast. My name is Tim, I'm the host of the Deep End, and I'm so glad to have you with us. This is where we discuss God's Word in relevant modern-day terms, and it's also where we discuss the news and what's going on in the world, but we're also talking about the book of Revelation. Now, I want to also just make sure that we are aware. People join us from all over the place, so welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time, and wherever you are joining us from, let us know in the comments down below. We would love to know where our audience tunes in from. The Deep End Podcast is also on AM Talk Radio, 1240 in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, and FM 99.3. Welcome, radio audience. Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Never miss an episode. Or you can download the app, tune in, and listen to our podcast there at any time. Uh, YouTube, one of our videos has hit over 2,000 watches from a couple of uh, weeks ago. It's called Pride and the Beast of Babylon. I think it's called Pride and the Beast of Babylon. I'm not sure. But anyway, check that episode out. Uh, very important episode, tons of good material for today's age. Like and subscribe on the YouTube page. Could you do that for me? Like and subscribe. Like me, like me. I hate saying that, but it's part of the way you get the YouTube channel a little bit more traction. So if you subscribe, it helps us. Uh, and also if you like the videos, it helps us. So like and subscribe on our YouTube page. And also make sure to check out the deepend.tv. That's where you can uh, find out all of our links and they should all be working now. We've got an Instagram, instagram.com slash thedeependtv. Follow us, follow us. Facebook.com slash thedeependtv. Uh, YouTube.com, because we have surpassed 100 subscribers, we now have the ability to have our own URL. So on YouTube, it's youtube.com slash thedeependtv. Very easy. All the social media sites slash thedeependtv. And we are growing. So, so glad to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your likes and thank you for your subscribes. I hope that this material helps you in your faith and in your walk. Let's talk about today, June 26th, 2019. And let's talk about yesterday, June 25th, uh, 2019. Big on this date anniversaries. Uh, on 2000, I'm sorry, uh, in 1962, I believe. It was on June 25th that the Supreme Court uh, in this, uh, rejected public school prayer. Public school prayers were removed from uh, schools in 1962 on June 25th. And then, kind of ironically, on the next day, June 26th in 2015, this is today, is an anniversary uh, four-year, five-year, four-year anniversary of the Supreme Court ruling for gay marriage being a quote-unquote constitutional right in this country. Are the two things tied together? Well, I kind of do think so. I think that sex has become a religion in this country. Sexual expression has become a religion in this country. We're going to talk about that today on the Deep End Podcast. We're going to talk about how if you don't worship God and if you don't worship the Lord Jesus, you're going to worship something. And that is never more illustrated clearly in the Bible than in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation describes 
the Whore of Babylon. We talked about that last week. If you missed last week's episode, make sure you tune in and you see how we are living in the age of the Whore of Babylon. But also, it doesn't just talk about the Whore of Babylon. It talks about the Bride of Christ. And so we're going to talk about the Bride of Christ and why it's so much better to be a part of the Bride of Christ than the Whore of Babylon. So, interesting date in history, or last two days, dates in history. Today, though, good stuff. Let's talk about your questions. I always say ask anything on the deep end, 508-316-933. You can text your question in, and we will keep it anonymous if you so choose. If you want to let us know who you are, well, we'll tell everybody who you are. But I got a couple questions in, and I want to answer your questions. And so this one came in during the podcast last week. Just remember that if you do ask a question while the podcast is going on, on Wednesday at noon, I can't actually read the question. We will uh, address the question next week. So here's what happened last week. This was in our comments. My husband, Pastor Tim, my husband goes crazy criticizing other pastors like Joel Osteen. And uh, he misspelled Osteen there, or she misspelled Osteen. But anyway, Joel Osteen. But I say as long as he is bringing people to Jesus, I think it is fine. But he also doesn't like when pastors just talk about how people will be successful, which, again, I don't see anything wrong with that. What are your thoughts? Okay, here are my thoughts. My thoughts are is that Joel Osteen is a professing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have watched his services, not just the produced ones. And you have to realize this. I know this for myself because we have our services on television. Television really restricts how much stuff you can actually put on television. So if you want to have a television show, it's got to be very well produced and it's got to be very whittled down to like the necessities. And then as a pastor, you have to think about, well, what am I putting out there for people who do not come to my church? So the Deep End Podcast, I put everything out here. And this is kind of interesting. I say things on the Deep End Podcast that I would never say uh, at our weekend experience, and our team knows this, because on our weekend experience, our church services, I'm expecting non-believers to show up, and I want to win them to Jesus. So I'm not going to talk immediately about gay marriage on the weekend or abortion or other hot topic issues. That's what the Deep End's for. On the deep end, you can either get, you, know, you, can, you can listen to me and you can get offended, but the good news is you're not in a room full of strangers who all believe differently than you. So that's why we do it here and not in the weekend, because we want to be, we want to be, uh, I guess you would say, kind of compassionate, if you will, or at least hospitable to those who might be guests among us and not, might not believe like us. You're, we're saying, look, you're coming into a big room filled with people who believe differently than you. We don't want to force you to feel uncomfortable, so we'll keep it a little bit more comfortable in that moment as the Lord Jesus speaks to you through his word. Ultimately, if you don't come to the gospel, then you, I don't expect you to agree with almost anything that I say that are from the scriptures, okay? So why do I go into that little tangent? Because you have to realize that what you see on television of Joel Osteen is not, pretty, is not representative of the whole church's ministry. And so I've watched his whole live service, and I've seen the live service. If you ever catch his live service, you can catch it on YouTube. It's fantastic. They talk about Jesus, they talk about salvation, they talk about repentance. It's just what they do is they produce something that goes on television and is very positive. And I see, I see a benefit to that. We do want to be positive to people who are not like us. We definitely want to send the message out there that we are people of faith, that we do believe that God wants to prosper you and succeed you. So it's an attractive message. And that's what you have to realize that Joel Osteen is doing. And I applaud him for it. He's doing it great. He's all over the place. Fantastic. And I think about this. Joel Osteen is a partner in Christ and not an opposition. I mean, seriously, people, are we going to be still fighting these stupid internal Christian fights when the world is going to hell around us? Why don't we rather unite together and say, hey, you might do it differently than me. I am not really into those particular verses that you kind of emphasize. But I guarantee you, 
every pastor out there has his like kind of thrust, his kind of like emphasis. And so for Joel Osteen, it is success. It is your dreams. It is where God wants to bring you to and all those kind of things. And those, there are scriptures for that. Is it maybe an overemphasis on his broadcast? That's for you to judge, but here's the deal. Why not rather support the guy who's trying to bring people to Jesus and he's doing it his way? And maybe if you just start supporting one another, you know, he's not coming out and saying that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He's not coming out and saying that we disagree that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. I've heard him talk about all these things. So relax, friend. I don't think we should spend a lot of time trying to find out who's really in and who's really out. That, I've always said this to our church too. My job is not to find out, are you, in the, are you really a Christian or are you really not a Christian? That's the Lord's job. And in the parable of the weeds and the tares, wheat and the tares, that's exactly what Jesus teaches his disciples. He says that the enemy comes in and sows tares among the wheat and then the workers come back to the master of the house and say, should we rip up the tares? He says, no, because if you rip up the tares, you might rip, rip up some wheat by accident as well. Let both grow together. Let both grow together. And then at the end times, the angels who are assigned by God to know the difference between the wheat and the tares, they will separate. So our job is to encourage people to come and hear about Jesus. And I think that you have to just kind of like relax about this stuff. You've got to, if the guy's talking about Jesus, you just got to support that guy. I understand that there are swindlers out there, but he's not one of them. I, I, I thank God for Joel Osteen. He is doing a tremendous work for the body of Christ. And I tell this to our team here in the church. I know of two great pastors who I had high respect for, and publicly they denounced Joel Osteen from their pulpits, criticized him. Both those guys fell from their positions of authority in the church because of immorality, both of them. And I just think the more we cast stones at people and name names who are on the same side as us, I think the less the Lord actually kind of protects us. I think that's just dangerous. You got to just watch out for who you attack. Why not find bridges and build them instead of walls, especially within the church? It is, uh, America needs Jesus. And so let's unite. They'll know we are Christians by our love one for another. Amen? And that's what Jesus said. Okay, the next question. Uh, hey, Pastor Tim, have you read a book called Ashamed of the Gospel by John MacArthur? Question mark. Uh, just wanted to know your take on it. <laughs> so this is kind of like the opposite question. Uh, if you were to put it on a spectrum of popular Christian pastors on TV, uh, John MacArthur would be over here on the right way over here, and Joel Osteen would be over here way on the left. And they're both evangelical Christian pastors. And um, as far as I know, John MacArthur, not a big fan of Joel Osteen. So I'm going to just say the same thing about John MacArthur. I think that he's a valuable team member of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we should, we should thank God for him. Uh, the book Ashamed of the Gospel, I have not read, but I did get the, um, the snippet from Amazon, and evidently it's a book where John MacArthur takes on the seeker-sensitive movement. Now, if you're not a Christian, this means nothing to you, but the seeker-sensitive movement which uh, placed an emphasis on pragmatism within the church and sounded, and he says that this book sounds the alarm uh, against these trends in the uh, Christian church in America, basically talking about how he doesn't like the pragmatic philosophy of the seeker-sensitive movement. And I understand that there are some failures to all versions of Christian uh, ministry concepts, but we, again, got to stop trying to dissect everybody. There was a moment in the Gospels where Jesus is asked by um, James and John. You know, James and John are always spouting off at the mouth, too. 
Peter, we give a lot of flack to Peter, but James and John too. And they came to Jesus and they say, hey, we found this guy over here and he was casting out demons and he wasn't one of us, but he was casting out demons in your name, but he wasn't one of us. And we told him to stop it. We told him to stop it. That's not Jesus. You're not one of us. I mean, this is basically what we're doing today. And Jesus says, wait a second. Why did you do that? If he's talking good about me now, there's no way he's going to be talking bad about me later. You know, why, why, and, then, and I think the famous line that Jesus says in that passage is, he who is not against me is for me. And in another passage, Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. So he says the both lines, the both lines that actually kind of work together, right? They're symbiotic together. So stop trying to vilify some other Christian teacher, pastor, preacher, and rather say, thank God that there's a preacher, pastor, teacher out there. Because in my opinion, we need more gospel. We need more preachers. The, 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 the prayer that Jesus asked us to pray was, pray that the Lord will send more workers into the harvest. He didn't say, hey, pray that we can get rid of all the people who don't do it the way we do it. Like, let's actually pray for more, more workers, okay? And uh, John MacArthur, I, I appreciate his uh, additions to the church of Jesus, especially in this day and age. And, and I think that we need balance. Really, we need a lot of balance. We need the John MacArthur's of the world to balance us out from the Joel Osteen's of the world, the Joel Osteen's to balance us out from the John MacArthur's of the world. Why not just be like, hey, I'm cool. Let's be in the middle. Let's be in the middle. Let's learn from everybody. And then let's just celebrate who Jesus is. That's really what it's about. So with that in mind, it takes us to the book of Revelation. It's marriage season. Woo! Are you going to some weddings this week? Are you going to the? Uh, are you going to uh, a friend, a family member? Maybe dad's getting remarried, or somebody's on the way to getting their marriage on. What's going on in your life? I've done two marriages this marriage, this wedding season. Two. That's that's high for me. I don't usually do any, but uh, we had some people, uh, a guy on staff, get married. Shout out Christian and Josie. Christian and Josie Bridges, shout out, hashtag Bridges Wedding 2019. But we also have weddings coming up. I ask a question of you. Are you going to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Are you going to be at the most important wedding in human history, in cosmic history? All right? Wedding supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, friends, we are here. It seemed like only yesterday we were in Revelation chapter 1, and now we are in Revelation chapter 19. Just as a side item, I was thinking about this. Deep End Season 1, 1 Corinthians, Deep End Season 2, Revelation, coming soon to a podcast near you, Revel, uh, uh, Deep End Season 3. What book should we do? What study should we do? I leave that up to you. Let us know in the comments. What Bible book would you want me to study? Not that I'm necessarily going to listen to you, but I'd like to know what your ideas are. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. You won't comment. No, please do comment. I will listen. Suggest. I have an idea, and I'm not going to let you know the idea until a future episode. But Oh, and by the way, we're in Revelation 19 today, but next week, don't miss this. Very excited. We're going to take an excursion. So, you know, you go on vacation, take little excursions. If you go on a cruise, you take excursions. So we're going to get off the Revelation cruise for a week at the Deep End Podcast, but we're going to take a relevant excursion, and I'm going to do a whole segment next week. Very excited about this. Are these the last days? Are these the last days? And I shouldn't say last days because it's been the last days since Jesus ascended to the Father. Even John the Revelator says that. So maybe I should say it like this. Are these the last, last days? 
How about that? Because uh, we want to talk about that. Are we closer than ever? Of course, we are closer than ever to Jesus' return. But what are the signs? Very excited. Don't miss it. Got some good stuff to share with you next week on our little shore excursion, getting off the Revelation cruise for one week, and then we'll be back at Revelation 19 in two weeks. But this week, the marriage supper of the Lamb, let's get into it. Verse 1. After this, Revelation 19. So remember after this, what? After the judgment of the whore of Babylon. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah. Okay, let's just stop there. I heard. Very important thing that you understand about hearing when it comes to the word of God. Romans 10, 17, very famous passage. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I can't stress this enough, but the one sense through which God speaks to you is your ears, your hearing. Now, there's this story in the Old Testament. It's very important. Uh, and we're going to get to why we're, this, this idea of him hearing is so important in Revelation 19. Because there's this moment in Genesis' story where uh, there's two brothers, Esau, Esau and Isaac. Esau is the older brother, favored by dad, Isaac. And then Jacob is the younger brother. He is, they're twins, but they're just slightly, he's just slightly like seconds younger than Esau. And, she, and Jacob is favored by Rebecca. Well, there comes this time where Rebecca and Jacob kind of team up to trick blinding or, you know, impaired, vision impaired uh, Isaac to give, to give Jacob the blessing of the firstborn. The way that this all goes down is Isaac is deceived through his other four senses and does not trust his ear. You think about this, okay? So what happens is Rebecca pulls Jacob aside and says, hey, listen, your father's going to give the firstborn blessing to Esau. I want him to give it to you, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to dress you up in Esau's clothes. We're going to put some Esau smell on you. We're going to make the meat just the way Esau makes it, which your dad likes. Uh, and then you're going to go in, and you're going to tell him that you're Esau, and you're going to give him the meat, and then he's going to give you the firstborn blessing. Well, in that story, it's an interesting little parable. Because what does Isaac do? He doesn't trust his ears. He doesn't trust his hearing. This is a lesson for us, okay? He can't see. So that's one sense that is uh, not reliable. But he, when, when, J- when Jacob comes in under the guise of being Esau, even Isaac says, that it sounds like you're Jacob. You smell like Esau. So he smells him. He pulls him close. He smells him. He touches him, and he feels the hairy uh, uh, animal skin on Jacob's uh, uh, arms. And then he tastes the food. Okay? So you've got the four other senses, five senses of the human body. He can't see. He smells Esau's clothing. He touches and feels Esau's hairiness. And he uh, tastes Esau's food. And he trusts those four senses over his hearing. And it's a little parable for us about the, four, the very important facet that hearing plays in the life of faith. Why do I say this? Because Jesus said, my sheep, John 10, 27, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. How do I grow in faith? Hearing. How do I grow as a Christian? Hearing. I want to know Jesus more hear. What does he say? This is why we have the Bible, because God wants to say something to us, and he wants to reveal himself to us, but how does he get that transmitted to us? Not through sight, not through touch, not through smell, okay? Not through taste, through hearing. Trust what God says to you. This is the importance of hearing the word of God, because it builds your faith. And why is this important for the book of Revelation? Because the book of Revelation is the announcement of Jesus, 
and it is written word, and is the, 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 the blessing in Revelation chapter 1-3 is, blessed are those who hear this word and who read it aloud. We are meant to hear God's word. Some of you are living lives that are far below the level that God wants you to live at right now. You don't have the faith that you need. You don't have the guts that you don't have. You don't have the courage. You don't have the peace. You don't have the joy. It's because you spend more time listening to the voices of this world than listening to the voice of God. Or you spend more time worrying about what you taste, what you smell, what you see, what you touch than what you hear. Guard your ears, all right? Into the ears comes faith or frustration. Into the ears comes depression or joy. The Word of God is living and active, and it is able to empower you. Back to this passage. He says, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Now, that's an important phrase, too. A great multitude in heaven he hears. This is why I talked about hearing. John had to hear that there was a bunch of people in heaven praising Jesus. Why? Because he's living in A.D. 80, where Christians are getting tortured to the loud cheers of multitudes in the Roman Colosseum. Do you see it? So in his days, he's listening to the crowds cheer for Christians dying. But what he sees in the, on the island of Patmos that day, as God reveals Jesus to him through the revelation, he hears heaven rejoicing at Jesus's glory and at the demise of Babylon. This is important. This is important for us to, re to remember this. There are more people in heaven than you realize. There's a great multitude. Why do I need to know this? Because it's hard sometimes to be the only Christian at your workplace or your family or your town or your neighborhood or your PTA meeting or whatever. And you tend to think, I'm outnumbered. I'm outnumbered. I'm only one. No, no, no. There's a great multitude in heaven. There's a great multitude of people who are rejoicing over Jesus. And don't forget that. So what do they say? They say, hallelujah, verse 1b. They say, hallelujah. Then salvation and glory and power belong to our God. I love this phrase. Salvation belongs to God. Glory belongs to God. Power belongs to God. He does not need glory and power. He already has them. They're his. Thus the term belong. But let's talk about salvation for a minute, because this is a very important theological construct here. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now this comes right out of Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah's in the whale. And he says, salvation belongs to the Lord, Jonah 2.9. Now, what does that mean? It means that God is in charge of salvation. It means that God saves. We talk about, I got saved. But really what we should say is, the Lord saved me. Okay, we don't get saved as much as God saves us. It's just kind of an important distinction in our verbiage. I think is important because I got saved kind of tells the people, I did it. But the Lord saved me, tells people, the Lord did it. And my question for you is, do you put a lot of emphasis in your salvation on what you do? Or do you put the emphasis on what God has done? Here's why it's important that you make this distinction and you get it right. Because the world's most popular religion is self-salvation. Let me say that again. The world's most popular religion is self-salvation. Every other religion outside of Christianity is based on self-salvation. Hinduism is based on you doing enough things right in your current life to get to the upper echelons of the, I don't know, the spiritual food chain or the, the biological food chain, wherein you get to nirvana eventually. And according to Hinduist beliefs, it could take up to, I think, 300,000 lifetimes. Whew. 
I'm exhausted just thinking about that. But nonetheless, it's works-based. What I do gets me there. Judaism, works-based. I do, it gets me there. Islam, works-based. I do. I pray five times a day. I visit Mecca. I give alms. I do these things. I, 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 I. I get myself there. Works-based salvation. Even the most popular religion in America, not Christianity, uh-uh, uh-uh. I say this all the time, not Christianity. The most popular religion in America is, I'm a good person, religion. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. It's a wonderful little self-salvation project because I'm a good person according to me. I'm a good person because I'm not as bad as that person. I'm a good person because I make the laws for what I feel is right and I follow my heart. It just it, That just totally jives with Americanism right there. That just totally jives with America 2019. I get the decision about what's right, what's wrong. I follow what's right. I, follow what's, I don't follow what's wrong. And I get to decide that I am good enough to get to heaven. Okay, that's works righteousness. That's self-salvation. That's saying I got saved. I got saved by my good works. Okay, no, friend. The Bible from cover to cover makes it clear that everything good comes from God. Salvation is a good thing. It comes from God. You are not saved by what you do. You are saved by God's amazing grace. Even that great verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not, a, uh, this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. What is a gift? The faith to believe in the grace of God to get saved. I think it's important that we talk about these things because so many Christians are so paralyzed by fear of, quote-unquote, losing their salvation. I, I had a girl come up to me after our services this weekend and pray. Can you ask me to pray for her? Can you pray for me that I won't walk away from the faith? I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not pray that. Let's not pray that. Let's pray that you will be secure in God's love for you, that you will rest in his finished work, that you won't feel like you need to do more to please God. You can't earn salvation. How can you keep salvation? If you can't earn it, how can you keep it? Okay? Now, does the Bible warn us against falling away? Sure. All over the book of Hebrews. But remember, Hebrews is written to Jews. That's the word Hebrew. Okay? It's written to Jews who were saved out of the law, out of the good, do good religions, out of the, out of the works, self-salvation religion of Judaism. God saves them out of that, brings them into his family by grace. He says, listen, if you fall away from this, this movement, there's no hope for you. There's no other option. There's no salvation outside of this. And so you got to realize when you read the book of Hebrews and the warning passages there, they are not warning you that you could lose your salvation. They are warning you to not go back to Judaism, which cannot save you. God's grace saves you. And so I, I just prayed and I said, listen, I want to give you a passage. First Thessalonians 5.23, it says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Listen to those words. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. He will sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's going to do this. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You say, do I, do, have, do, I, do I have to do anything as a Christian? You have to do a whole bunch of things as a Christian. You have to, you have to serve the Lord. You have to follow him. You have to, you have to read his word. You have to be in church. You have to you know, give your money to the cause of the gospel. Those are, yeah, you have to love your neighbor. You have to be hospitable. You have to, lots of things that we should do as Christians. But listen, those things don't make us acceptable to God. We do those things because we have already been made acceptable to God by his grace through the Lord Jesus. Nothing that you do adds to it. Nothing that you do takes away from it. You've got to deepen yourself in a, in a love and an appreciation for what God has done for you in Christ. Salvation belongs to our God. So don't say, I got saved. Say, the Lord saved me. Now, I know at some point I'm going to say I got saved from the stage and someone's going to come up and correct me and say, you told us not to say that, but it's just verbiage, whatever. Let's go on to verse 2. For his judgments are true and just. 
Look at that line. His judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Okay, real simple. Verse 2 is saying God's judgment is perfect. His, he is a perfect in just judgment because he knows everything. Do you know why God tells you not to judge? Because you don't know everything. That's why he tells you not to judge. It's so easy to judge people when we don't know them. It's so easy to judge people from afar, and we haven't walked in their shoes. Now, when we talk about judging, we're not talking about not declaring something right and wrong. That's not judging. That's just discernment, okay? That's just moral truth that we don't argue about because it's in the New Testament scriptures that something's right or something's wrong. But when we talk about judging others, we're talking about that you pronounce judgment on them and you say, this is now what you get for what you did. Well, that's not our job as Christians that's God's job. And thank God it's God's job because I don't want that responsibility. You don't want that responsibility. But let's get to this point. Some people, some Christians I know, have a problem with God's holy judgment. They have a problem with the God of judgment. They don't, they don't like the idea that God would scold some people eternally in everlasting torment. How dare he? Okay, listen, I got some points for you about judgment. If you've got a problem with God's judgment, you've got a problem. I want to suggest three problems that you might have because you have a problem with God judging people. He knows what he's doing, okay? But I thought about this. Very, very practical points. Number one, we have a problem if we are more upset by God's judgment than by the effects of sin upon the human race. Like, if you have a problem, oh, I can't believe God would judge people for doing things that are wrong. Well, wait a second. The things that are wrong are hurtful. They're bad. And, and, Sin sucks. Like, sin sucks. We talked about that last week, right? So sin hurts. Some of you right now, you're living with the hurts that other people's sins have caused you. That There needs to be judgment. For instance, people say, well, there's no such thing as eternal hell. It's just like, you know, annihilation. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to tell me that Hitler, with all of his evil, with all of his disgusting acts of savagery and, 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 and villainy, he's going to just get annihilated? Like, he just got to cosmically away with it? No, 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 no. There's a perfect justice and judgment coming upon him and the child abusers and the child molesters and all those people. We've talked about that, right? Are they going to get... So is the person who just rejects Jesus and lives a pretty good moral life going to get the same treatment as Hitler? No. God has got a perfect justice, but the judgment is coming. And the judgment that we're talking about here in Revelation 19 is the judgment upon Babylon, that worldly system that corrupts through sex and money, Okay. But if you got a problem with God's judgment and you're more upset by that than the effects of the human race, a uh, sin upon the human race, you've got a problem. Number two, we have a problem, okay, uh, if we are more upset by God's judgment of the unbelievers than we are motivated to reach unbelievers that they might escape God's judgment. So you, you don't like hell? You don't like the idea of hell? Well, help us get people out of hell. Like, it's a great theme of our church here in Waters Church. We want to make it hard for people in this community to go to hell. We want to make it hard for people in this community to go to hell. Well, we got to do things. we gotta, we got to help raise money for projects. we got to serve in the church. we got to partner with what the Lord is doing through our church to make sure that people hear the gospel. we got to get it out on the TV. We've got to get it on YouTube. We've got to get it on Facebook. That's what we're doing right now. Someone right now might be getting warned of eternal judgment over their life right now. Think about that. That's why we're doing this, Okay. And so if you're more upset, though, about God's judgment than about being energized to help people escape it, like the good thing about God's judgment is, the good news about God's judgment is you could escape. People can get out of it. 
through Jesus. So let's get the word out, right? But you got a problem if you're more upset about that than about helping them get out of it. Number three, we have a problem if we are concerned the judgment of God is too severe. Perhaps it is a sign that we've lost a sense of his holiness and have become cozy with sin. I always find that the Christians who have a problem with God's judgment are the ones who probably have the greatest amount of secret sin. <laughs> they, what really is, they, they just don't want God to judge them. And, uh, you know, the thing about you, you just got you to realize, the sin hurts, man, and sin hurts you. And God doesn't want sin in your life because God loves you. Anyway, three quick points. Let's move on. For his judgments are just and true, and he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged the blood of the saints. Remember that the judgment of God upon Babylon is because he is avenging on the world system the blood of his saints. Now, this is perhaps the greatest sign of a cultural's decay, a culture's decay. Here's the greatest sign of a culture's decay. Anti-Christian sentiment. Anti-Christian sentiment. It just doesn't make sense to me, okay, in the natural, that Christianity is so hated, and it is hated. It is hated globally, and it has been hated for 2,000 years. Now, I know that Christians have done a lot of bad stuff. I know you probably have a friend. If you're not a Christian, you probably have a friend who is a terrible Christian. That's why you're not a Christian. I hear you. I hear you. But the Christian, even the good Christians, are, are hated. All over the world right now, Christians are suffering. We're going to talk about this next week, but a little bit of a hint. Nigeria is a hotbed for Christian persecution. Christians are being displaced by the thousands right now. Okay, Right now, their estimates are 245 million Christians experience high levels of persecution uh, in the world right now. One out of nine Christians experiences high levels of persecution. Every month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith worldwide. Every month. This is like worldwide persecution. Now, why am I saying all this? Because you can see the sign of a culture's decay the more inhospitable they are toward Christians. And I think the two things, cultural decay, anti-Christian sentiment, run parallel together. Let's talk about us. Let's talk about America. You have got to admit that the signs of the times are showing that the tide is slowly and gently turning anti-Christian over time. That's why I say it's ironic that June 25th, prayer out of school uh, is the uh, anniversary for prayer out of schools. June 26th, anniversary for gay marriage. Because gay marriage has morphed. Have you seen this? Gay marriage has morphed. It has morphed from, well, what does our marriage have to do with your life? Let us just love. Love is love. We're just about us. Why do you have to force your beliefs on us? Just stop forcing your beliefs on us. That was, I, I'm old enough to remember, okay, 2003 in Massachusetts when gay marriage was enacted by the Supreme Court of Massachusetts, I'm old enough to remember those arguments. And the argument was, we'll leave you alone if you leave us alone. Well, guess what's happened? They've decided that they want us to leave them alone, but now they will not leave us alone. <laughs> That's what's happened. Now, I think about this. This is a case that everybody pretty much knows about. Jack Phillips, he's a Christian, Christian in Colorado who runs a bake shop. I almost called him a Christian baker. There's no such thing as a Christian baker. There are Christians who are bakers. So he's a Christian who's a baker in Colorado. And he did the unthinkable cultural sin now of denying to make a cake for a wedding, gay wedding. This is now the unthinkable sin. <laughs> now, mind you, he will sell a homosexual anything they want. He just won't do a cake for a gay wedding. He's a Christian. He has a problem with that. Now, there are other Christians who will probably make cakes for gay weddings. And if they want to, I don't care. It's, it's butter and sugar. 
do we have to like vilify this guy now? Because now not only was he brought to court all the way up to the Supreme Court, it started in 2012. He only got exonerated by the Supreme Court in 2018. For six years, he was harassed. And you, could t- you can hear from him, harassed. His family, harassed. His employees, harassed. His business, harassed. For six solid years. And even after the judgment. On the day of the judgment where the Supreme Court said, listen, and Justice Anthony Kennedy said that the reason why they voted in his favor was mostly because of the anti-Christian sentiment coming from the state of Colorado. In other words, there's anti-Christian sentiment resident in the governmental powers of the Colorado legislature. That's a problem, people. That's a problem. You shouldn't be anti-Muslim, shouldn't be anti-Jew, shouldn't be anti-atheist, and it definitely shouldn't be anti-Christian. No government should. That's called freedom of religion, right? So anyway, 7 to 2, the, the Supreme Court rules in his favor. Do you know that on that same day, guess what happens? <laughs> a Satan worshiper enters Jack's bake shop and asks for him to bake a cake for Satan's birthday. And on top of the cake, he requested a figure of Satan licking a sex toy. This is outrageous. This is so stupid. Now, you have to know that the guy was just trying to egg the guy on. He was just trying to bring up some more tension. So the guy, of course, Jack says, no, I'm not going to do that. He refuses a lot of different cakes. He actually refused a Nazi cake. There was no uproar about that. He refused other cakes that had messages that he just does not think he needs to support or wants to support. Nothing happened when he rejected those cakes. But because sex becomes a religion, an object of worship, the homosexual sex especially, now all hell has to break loose against this poor guy. Well, he rejected that cake. Then there's another person who brought a cake that said they wanted a pink inside cake, a blue outside cake to celebrate gender transition. And you have to know, just do this math with me for a second, okay? Just do this math for me with us for a second. If I need a gender transition cake... I don't have to tell anybody it's a gender transition cake. I don't have to tell anybody. Make me a cake with a blue interior and a pink exterior. Why? None of your business. Okay. I'll make it. But you know what happened, right? The person had to go into his cake shop and say, I want you to make me a gender transition cake. And the only reason why I'm saying this is because you got a ruling in your favor from the Supreme Court that I'm mad about. That's all that happened. So now they have to come at this guy three times more. And he's been brought to court again. Can't you leave the guy alone? I mean, have you seen the guy? It's like the softest little grandpa figure you've ever seen. But yet we have to vilify this guy. We have to make this guy the new Hitler. He's the new Hitler. So look at this article from Newsweek. Colorado's, Colorado baker's protagonist allegedly requested satanic cakes that other bakeries wouldn't create. So the satanist goes to other bakeries and says, make me a cake with Satan licking a sex toy. And other bakers said, no way. Crickets. Nobody cares. Oh, but the guy, the Christian guy. Oh, anti-Christian sentiment. Do you see? That you won't listen. You won't hear these stories usually. That's why you have to watch the deep end. We'll share them with you. Anti-sentiment, anti-Christian sentiment is on the rise um, in the West, by and large. Sweden just passed a law. Check this out. Sweden just passed a law against praying. <laughs> if you work for any governmental institution, at any time that you are working, you cannot pray. At any time you are working, you cannot pray. I, I just imagine some of the public school teachers in Sweden. Have you ever met 14-year-old boys? You, you want to expect, like, you know, middle-aged women to teach 14-year-old boys, and then you want to tell them that they can't pray? <laughs> just think about that for a second. 
I'm telling you, if I'm a middle-aged woman or a middle-aged man and I'm trying to teach 14 and 13-year-old boys, I'm doing a heck of a lot of praying. Now, maybe not publicly, but I'm praying. But the Supreme, but the, uh, the Sweden government just passed a law that's, that prohibits governmental employees from praying during working hours. Workers, and listen, listen to their arguments. Here's their arguments. This is their quote. Workers have the, quote, right to avoid public religious expression, end quote. Workers have the right to avoid public religious expression? Are you kidding me? What, if you don't like it, turn the other way. Like, what, what, what kind of nonsense are we? Why are, we getting, why, why are unbelievers so touchy? Because there's anti-Christian sentiment. It grows. It doesn't get less. Now, the big problem with Sweden is they've got a growing Muslim population. Muslims have to pray five times a day, according to their self-salvation project, okay? So what are you going to do with those people? And there's even a stipulation in this article that they're a little bit worried about that. <laughs> that's that's going to be challenged in court. And it's probably going to be challenged in court by Muslims and not Christians, sadly. Anyway, another one. In Canada, just to the north of us. Uh, now you can't believe that marriage is between a man and a woman and foster children. Now you can't even believe that marriage is between a man and a woman and foster children in Ontario, Canada. A government-funded child services agency rejected an Ontario-Canadian couple as foster parents because of their Christian faith and their belief that homosexuality is sinful, according to a lawsuit filed with the Ontario Supreme Court of Justice. So now you can't even think differently. This is where it's, this is the trajectory, okay? Anti-Christian sentiment. The decay of the West is paralleling the anti-Christian hostility that is rapidly ascending. And I wish that these were just like backwoods scenarios. These are governmental sanctioned scenarios coming to a state of the United States near you very shortly. You know, it's that great euphemism, that great quote. I was actually at the Holocaust Museum in uh, Jerusalem, and I remember seeing this quote. First, they came for the socialists, and I wasn't a socialist, so I didn't say anything. Then they came for the Lutherans, and I wasn't a Lutheran, so they didn't say anything. Then they came for the Jews, and I wasn't a Jew, so they didn't say anything. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to say anything. You know, you got to step up. you got to say something. You gotta speak out. I tell my kids this all the time when they get into their arguments with their friends. I don't say don't. I, just, I don't say argue, but I say listen. Let them know that you're there. Don't argue, but let them know that you're there. Say something. It's okay if people want to argue. You can walk away. This happened up in Alaska. It's always wherever it's cold. Sweden, Colorado, Alaska. <laughs> so this story is out of Alaska. Uh, Satanic temple opens government meeting in Alaska with hail Satan prayer. It's just funny to me. Uh, this is in Soldatna, uh, Soldatna, Soldatna, Alaska. Evidently, some atheists got angry because only Christians could open up in prayer at the governmental meetings, and so they got themselves the ACLU, and the ACLU, ACLU sued, and they changed the law so that anybody with any kind of religious affiliation anywhere could open the governmental meeting in prayer. So what do you know? This sounds, this sounds coordinated to me. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're picking up on that, but it sounds coordinated to me. So the satanic temple says, hey, we got somebody we want to help open up the governmental meeting. And so he gets up there and he asks everybody to empty their minds and think about weird trees and nuts and fruits and stuff like that. And then says, hail Satan at the end of the complication. Oh, Lord. Well, anyway, this stuff is just going to continue. This is where it's going. It's the uh, collapse of the West, as far as I know, as far as I can see. Again, unless the Lord does a mighty revival, it's just going to get worse and worse and more and more. And you have to realize that there's going to be judgment for this. This is the thing. And I, I want to make sure that we're clear on something. What's the Christian's response to this? The Christian response is, God's going to judge this. 
God's going to judge this. And it's not my job to judge. It's my job to laugh, honestly. <laughs> Just kind of like laugh a little bit. You say, why do you laugh, Pastor? That's mean. Well, because God laughs. God laughs. Psalm 2, 1 through 4. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the, and the rulers take counsel together against who? Against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, we don't want God to rule. And we don't want Jesus to be in charge. We don't want these Christians to have all the same. So verse 4, love it. He who sits in the heavens, <laughs> he laughs. The Lord holds them in direction. The Lord just doesn't, he doesn't get mad. He just kind of like laughs. And eventually he would judge. So you got to realize that. Christians relax. So it says this. Once more they cried out, hallelujah, verse 3. Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Again, the judgment of God is severe. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I had a conversation with an unbeliever this past weekend at church, and he said, I don't like the idea of hell. Yeah, hell, hell, hell is evil, evil. Well, wait a second. Hell is just the absence of God's presence. That's what it really is. It's being cast away from the presence of God. Everything good and everything perfect comes from God, James chapter 1. When you turn away from God, you turn away from everything good and everything perfect. And all that you are left with is everything not good and everything imperfect. That's hell. You are away from the presence of the Lord where there's perfection and peace and joy and love and all the things that you enjoy. And all the things that we enjoy partially in this life, if you go to heaven, you enjoy it fully. If you go to hell, you are, it's eliminated from you completely. It's like light. Uh, darkness is just the absence of light. Darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of light. Cold is not a thing. It's the absence of heat. Hell is not a thing. It's the absence of God's goodness. And that's how I see it. And it, it is not a place you want to go. And you can be saved from hell through the Lord Jesus Christ. Call out to him and you shall be saved. Verse 4. And the 24 elders and the living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Lots of worship. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his saints, all you who fear him, small and great. So what's our focus as Christians? Our focus is praise and worship. Going on, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Let's talk about this. Let's break this passage down because this is what our focus is. This is what our focus is as the world gets corrupt and judged. Our focus is in, number one, we focus on the fact that God reigns. Hallelujah. So verse six says it. <laughs> Hallelujah, the Lord reigns. Christians, are you scared? Why? God reigns. Are you going through something that you don't understand? God reigns. Are you getting persecuted for your belief, either subtly or visibly, demonstrably? God reigns, and God is not unjust. He will hold those who cause his children to suffer, to suffer. He will hold them accountable. He will hold them accountable. And secondly, we focus on worship and praise instead of uh, anger and disgruntlement. I, I meet a lot of disgruntled Christians. Sometimes I can be one. These curmudgeons, these cultural curmudgeons. I can't believe the world is going so badly. Well, what do you expect? What do you expect by the world? What do you expect? Stop expecting non-Christians to be Christian. <laughs> like a lot of Christians, you can just take a deep breath and say, oh, that's right, they're not Christian. So relax. My daughter, I love my daughter. She lives for Jesus. She's such a great kid. She's just, she's just, I'm impressed with her every day. 
But sometimes she comes home from school and she's like, I can't believe my friends. They said this. They said that. And she gets into this like real heated debate with them. I said, all right, honey, listen, relax. They're lost. When people are lost, they don't know they're lost. And when, when people are in darkness, they don't know they're in darkness. Stop expecting non-Christians to be Christian. I think the church would do itself a huge favor if we would just start expecting ourselves to be Christian instead of the world. Oh, anyway, for that, that's for another message. So it says this, um, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. Can I talk about the marriage of the lamb? This is a, uh, a picture that the Bible gives us of our relationship to God. It's marriage. Interesting little thing about the birth of Jesus and marriage. Because in uh, first century Judaism, we have to understand first century Judaism if we're going to understand a lot of the New Testament. And in first century Judaism, the marriage ceremony, the whole protracted marriage event was a three-stage process. And the three-stage process, I want to show you, before I read this passage, the three-stage process was betrothal, preparation, and culmination. A betrothal, preparation, and culmination. So let's put this full screen if you can, Maddie. The first thing that would happen is a man would come and say to a woman's father, or parents, I would like to marry your daughter. And you'd say, okay, that's going to cost you 10 goats and seven donkeys and yada, yada, yada. And they would say, okay. And then you would get an agreement and then they would go away from him. He would go away. They would not move in together. Okay. That man would go home and he would build a house and he would get a job or he would get a job first and then build a house or whatever. And he would raise his crops and he would raise his animals, and then he would start selling them and make a living and start preparing a home for his bride. That's the preparation, stage two. Then up to a year or more later, he would come back and he would say, uh, I got this dowry that you requested. I got my goats and I got my donkeys that you asked for. Here they are. See, I can make a living. And the father would say, great, let's have a party. And so what would happen is the man would take the bride from dad's home and he would have a procession with his, with his boys, with his groomsmen. And they would celebrate and dance and rejoice and they would go all the way back home to the brand new home that he just built for his bride. And that's how it went down. This period of time from betrothal to culmination was up to a year or more, one year or more. And you think about this, such a way to bring about marriage, if you ask me, such a noble way. First off, we're expecting the dude to have a job. We're expecting the guy to actually do something with his hands before we just give him a beautiful woman. Like, women, you're valuable to God. Why do you want to just give yourself over to some schlub who won't take care of you, who won't treat you right? That's bogus, man. That's just low self-esteem, if you ask me. So the culmination, though, all right, big deal. Now, I want you to see something, because this is cool, about Jesus' birth. Because check this out. In Matthew chapter uh, 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, the birth took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, okay, there's stage one, right there, to Joseph, before they came together, that's important right there, okay, before they came together, she was found to be with child. When? Before they came together and after betrothal. This is so cool because what you see here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 is a picture 
of the Christian conversion experience. When does Mary receive Jesus? And by the way, through who? The Holy Spirit. When? After betrothal and before culmination, during the preparation stage. Uh, Tim, why are you focusing on this? This is weird to me. I don't understand. Because this is where we are cosmically. This is where we are cosmically. We are in the preparation stage of human existence. And right now, God is still doing for people across the world what he did for Mary. Not in the same way. I understand there's only one Mary. But through the Holy Spirit, he is regenerating the human heart to believe and receive Jesus. This is after the promise was been made that Jesus would come and die for our sins. That happened before you were born. Betrothal. It's, there, there's a culmination coming. The marriage supper. Okay? The, the friends of the bridegroom are coming from heaven. That great multitude. And they're going to rejoice and celebrate. Say, Hallelujah. Here it comes. The wedding of the Lamb. This is a beautiful picture of our promises in Christ. I don't know. I, I just get excited about that. I think that's cool. I think we've got to read the Bible more like that. Because here's what we got. 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul says, I betrothed you to one husband to present you a pure version of Christ. That's betrothal. Step two, preparation. What does Jesus say in John 14? I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be. That's preparation. That's where we are right now. And fulfillment, step three, is here in Revelation chapter 19 through 21, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Anyway, that was for free. Let's move on. Um... You are here. Oh, yes, there, there we go. You are here. Good. Okay. <laughs> Back to the things that we focus on. Third, we get ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb by doing good. And did you see that? I don't know if you saw that, but let me look at that passage with you again. Verse 7b, it says, And his bride has made herself ready. His bride has what? Her bri his bride has made herself ready. How? For it was granted, and notice the word granted here, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen, okay, that her, 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 her adornment is the righteous deeds of the saints. How do we prepare for the return of Jesus? By doing good. Okay, now I talk about the things that the world is doing, the craziness of the world, but I only do that so that you understand how to interpret the times. But our job mainly is not to castigate the world for being the world. Our main job is to focus on doing good. That's how the bride gets ready. That's how the bride gets ready. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Romans chapter 12, 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans 12, 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. God's going to judge, but leave to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And you can do this. This is stuff that you can do. You don't have to worry about the evil rising in our culture as much as you have to concern yourself with doing good works. Now, also, please notice, let's go back to the text full screen if we can. Notice that little phrase, granted. Granted, again, salvation belongs, okay, to who? To the Lord. Salvation is God's. And so listen, even our ability to do good comes from God. 
Even our ability to do good comes from God. This is a beautiful promise for Christians because here's what it is. Here's what it's saying. You have the power to do good. I know you don't feel like you do, but you do have the power to do good through the Holy Spirit who is at work in you. And there are Christians all over the world that are doing good. Look, look, pretty much every hospital in this country was built by Christians. Freedom of religion actually was a Christian idea. Roger Williams, right down here in Providence, Rhode Island, he came up with the idea that we shouldn't be forcing the Native Americans to become Christians. He came up with that idea. He was a Baptist minister. The first Baptist church in America is in Providence, Rhode Island, right now, still standing there. An homage to the great Robert Roger Williams, who said, we can't force natives to serve Jesus. If the, if the Holy Spirit doesn't call them, we can't force them. What a great way to live. What a, what a great contribution to our society. It comes from Christians. Christians have done good all over the world. Um, most adoption agencies were started by Christians. Now they're being curtailed. Now they're being curtailed by the LGBT uh, segment of our society. Uh, this, this, this comes out of the Associated Press. Adoption agency can't reject same-sex couples. And New York, a, a federal court in Albany, New York, a federal court says New York officials weren't infringing on a Christian adoption agency's freedom by requiring it to serve same-sex couples. What, what happened to, what does our marriage have to do with you? We just want to get married. Leave us alone. What happened to that from the LGBT community? Where, what happened? Now they force every Christian to abide by new standards that we, by the way, just invented four years ago nationwide in this country. Just four years ago. And now we act as if the whole of human history were stupid idiots because they didn't have gay marriage. And if you don't believe like we believe, you are a homophobe, bigoted, xenophobic, ridiculous person. I mean, it's just, this is where it's going, okay? And this is the anti-Christian sentiment. So we foster agencies, though, these were Christian ideals, adoption agencies, Christian ideals. Uh, um, the care for the elderly, Christian ideal. Do you know that the care for the elderly historically was not a reality in human history. The, uh, the elderly were oftentimes mistreated and left to die. Even amongst the Native American population in this country, before Christians' influence came to this country, the Native Americans would put their old people on a rock somewhere and walk away and let them die and starve to death. And they, were, and they considered that an honorable death. Well, Christians came along and said, wait, they're elderly, they're weak, we should care for them. Where did they get that idea? They got that idea when Jesus was hanging on, hanging on the cross and said to John about his mother, behold, She's your mother now. You take care of her because I can't. And so because of him saying that from the cross, the Christian church in the first century says, we got to take care for the elderly because Jesus said this from the cross. It's that important. Or the care of children or the infirmed or the sick. Where do these ideas come from? They do not come from paganism. Look it up for yourself. Do your own research. They do not come from paganism. They come from Christian influence. And so we got to continue this. we got to continue to do good. Because God has empowered us to do good. And I believe that when we do good, it'll shut the mouths of those who hate the church. It really will. Okay, we gotta, we gotta finish up. Let's get to verse nine. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Are you invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Say, you say, well, are, am I the bride of Christ or am I the guest? Well, you're both. Uh, don't get too you know, worried about words here. A lot of people say that uh, the church is the bride and the Jews are the guests. Well, I don't think so, because if you're in Christ, you're a part of the bride, and a lot of Jews are part of the bride, okay? And actually, the only people that are part of the bride are Christians, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. It doesn't matter. Um, some people say it was the saints from the Old Testament and the millennial periods that are the guests and the church of the New Testament era are, is the bride. I don't, I don't go for that. I think that 
the scripture is just saying, look, it's going to be a big fat party. It's going to be a big fat party. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be fun. It's going to be food. It's going to be celebrating. It's going to be dancing. It's going to be all the stuff that the Pentecostals think are sinful. It's going to happen. <laughs> and you want to be there because it's going to be good. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those. Blessed. Happy. Happy are those. Need some happiness? Focus on that. Focus on the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Uh, verse 10, last verse we're going to cover today. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is the angel who is revealing to Jesus the words of God here. And John is just so overwhelmed by what he's hearing, he decides to worship the angel. And the, worship, and the angel says, don't do that. You don't worship me. I'm a created being. You worship God. And what a, what a great lesson for some Christians who still think they need to pray through the saints and they need to pray to the angels. The scripture says, again, scripture over church hierarchy, scripture over church denomination, scripture over church doctrine. Scripture says there is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You only need Jesus to talk to God. That's all you need. So watch out for the worship of angels. It's actually, um, uh, it's actually uh, what do you want to call it? Um, condemned by Paul in Colossians 2. Watch out for people who, you know, I, 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 you see it in the New Age movement all over the place. Just worship angels or worship this or worship that or pray through this person or have this intermediary. We need no intermediary except the Lord Jesus. He is the final one. And uh, he says for the last line here, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I thought about this, like this is saying, um, wherever you hear about Jesus, you are seeing prophecy happen. And, and that's important. The prophecy is not foretelling the future. A prophecy is foretelling Jesus into the present. It is describing Jesus in the present, his glory, his kingship, his authority. And again, remember that the Bible, the scripture, um, the book of Revelation and the Bible as a whole is about Jesus. We've talked about this from episode one of this season. Revelation 1.1 is right there on the first page, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those are the first words of this book. And so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to read this book and know our times and understand it and worship Jesus. That's what it's supposed to do. My final point to you is this. If, if your Bible study does not deepen your love for the Lord Jesus, you are doing it wrong. If your Bible study does not deepen your love for the Lord Jesus, you are doing it wrong. Your Bible study is not there for you to castigate your neighbors and rail against those who don't believe like you and, and be a holier-than-thou religious nut job. Mm -mm. Deepening your love for Christ, what he's done for you, who he is to you, what he will do for you, where you are going, eternally home with him. That's what we study the scriptures for. I'm glad that you joined me for this episode of The Deep End. I'm so glad that you were here Wednesday at noon. Join us next week. Remember, are we living in the last of the last days? That's next week. See you next time on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End Podcast. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and in your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.